You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Hello and welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. We are here to discuss the second season 19 set trilogy from Big Finish. Uh, We did the first a little while ago. Uh, So I am joined by Mark again. Hello, Mark. Hello. So I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, It's a good run of stories. I actually think it's the the better of the two trilogies, the two season 19 set trilogies. Do you think the same or...? Yes, I think overall I I do. It's it, the, the 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 six overall. I think maintain a very high standard. There's there's nothing in there that's terribly weak. Um, I'd said last time, listening to the Contingency Club, it, it was it it surprised me revisiting it because I thought it was the the weak link in the chain, and then it turned out no, I'd kind of misjudged it, and it was it was pretty pretty good. Um, but but yes, I think this second three. Yes, um, I, I enjoyed them even more, but it's, it, it, I'd say as a, as a sort of an overall average, it's fractionally more than, than the other three. It's, it's, it's a pretty even spread of um, good quality stories for, for, for this team. It's, it's a really good run. Yeah, agreed. They are both pretty good runs. The spoiler warning this week is for the season 19 set trilogies from Big Finish. We discussed the first trilogy, the first three stories. Uh, in a previous episode a while back, and now we are going to talk about the sort of most recent three stories featuring the season 19 teams. So that is Kingdom of Lies, Ghost Walk, and Serpent in the Silver Mask. Um, so Kingdom of Lies, it's, it, it's not subtle in terms of what it's going for. Um, I think very early on, within the first couple of scenes even, uh, we're into it, and we are very much in the middle of a Princess Diana and, at the time, Prince Charles parody kind of thing. Um, two two people that have just got married. It's obviously a, a marriage of convenience, and they're sort of discussing who's the most popular, who the people love the most, and all this kind of thing. Plenty of lines about you know, the people's princess, the people's prince, and just, uh, yeah, it, it, it sort of wears what it's doing um, pretty clearly on its lapel like a piece of celery. So, um, <laughs> oh, I had to do that, just had to. Um, so what what are your thoughts on this one, Mark? What do you think of Kingdom of Lies? Oh, I really liked it. Um, I, there's not a single one of these three that I didn't like, but this one, I, I think, it, it's a, it's an interesting run of stories. And so far as um, they they bookend this particular three with, do you know a doctor who's just sometimes intentionally very very silly? And then you know how they talk about the TARDIS being, uh, a, 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 well, obviously it's a time machine, but but I've heard it said that it's also a genre machine, and. Um, Sometimes it lands in like a serious version of, of a scenario, and sometimes it lands in a silly version of a scenario. And and this one's very much like okay, we've turned up in a comedy. The, the characters, the, the regulars, even seem to understand that that's the, the nature of of the reality they're they're in, and they just kind of go with the flow. And, and kind of um, there's high stakes, but there's also um, they, they kind of approach it with a a, a, a more um, Freewheeling, freewheeling, kind of uh, jokey attitude than, than than usual because that's exactly who, how the people that they're encountering are, and um, like it's in terms of in terms of comedy, it's it's not quite up at that level of like you know the one doctor or something where it's 
just absolute peak silliness, like right on the fringe of what you can get away with. Um, it, it's it's a notch or two down from that, but it is very broad. You know, it knows exactly what it's doing, and it's doing it very well. The, these two authors, Robert Kahn and Tom Selinsky, I, I don't know if I heard anything else by them, but I was very impressed by just just their just the, the ideas um because it's it's not i mean obviously there's the, the the broad charles and diana stuff going on um and it's very deftly handled it, it, they open it with the marriage followed immediately by the first um i think within within a minute they they have they've, they've skipped a year forward to the first anniversary of this marriage and it's like right here's the first rumors of um marital disharmony and and, and sort of impending trouble and so on and uh, you you know so, so, so there's that whole dimension of it, but there's also this thing of it's almost like they've taken something of um, the androids of Tara or something or, or uh, yeah you know you know that idea of like a, a a technologically advanced society that nevertheless wears the trappings of the old days because its populace loves a bit of pomp and ceremony. Well, I, I suppose that does parody 1982. You know when you've got like it's the modern age. And um, or, or any time that we've had any sort of big royal event, it, it's sort of the modern age, but suddenly we're thrown back, you know, 100, 200 years or whatever with, with these horse-drawn carriages and all sorts of, you know, paraphernalia. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the English do that that amazingly well, that stuff. Like nobody nobody does that stuff better. But, but yes, as you say, marriage of convenience, a lot of um, farcical comedy in and around that. Um, there is a, there's also this uh, cold opening um, to, to the thing before we even get to that, which is again it picks up this this running joke of um, uh, you know Adric attempting to fly the TARDIS. This, this seems to be the, the ongoing comedy thread of the, <laughs> it. It's like a tiny miniature story arc here where, where he always makes a complete mess of it, and then um, it ends up with Tegan thumping the console and. Uh, I wonder is it her thump that sends the TARDIS almost like sideways into a kind of um, slightly sillier version of reality or something? Because um, anyway, it's it's because it is so broad, but it's but it's actually one one thing that did make me raise an eyebrow, given that it's such a, an overtly comedic story, is that um, the, the this Sebastian and Miranda, aka Charles and Diana, it's it's all very well having the stuff about you know him talking to bees and saying things like whatever love means and so on and ticking all those boxes um but they actually have an orchestrated vehicle crash at one point and i'm thinking wow i'm kind of surprised in a way that one got past the bbc screening uh, department because but although i suppose that shows you what um you know science fiction can get away with because it's not such an overt uh reference it's 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 even a slight inversion given given that um the Diana analog is, is is slightly complicit complicit in the the counterplotting on that one, but um, I think you're absolutely right in terms of it's not an out and out caper. It isn't a big comedy release. It's just a Doctor Who story that leans towards the comic and does have quite a bit in there. But I don't think it's sort of any further than the TV series has taken us. Really, you know, with stuff like. Uh, I suppose the Romans would be the nearest yeah, most obvious comparison. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's definitely sort of lampooning a certain, you know, bit of history, I guess, relatively recent history. And in fact, if this story had been made of part of as part of season 19, it would have been very, very, very current um, yes. and on the nose. And I quite like that. But I also like the fact that it's got bits and bobs that very much make it a 21st century Doctor Who story. We've got, you know, things like drones. They wouldn't have been called drones in 1982. They'd have been hovering service robots or hovering (laughs) weapons robots, something like that. Um, I think drone is certainly something, a bit of terminology that we've taken on in the last 15 years or so and has actually been used fairly commonly in sort of big finish things. Um, I think there's even a Blake 7 episode called Drones from Big Finish. 
um yeah i do i find it sort of a really interesting sort of thing to look at like yeah they'd never have been called drones if this was made during season 19 um you're absolutely right i like the androids of tara comparison that one hadn't actually occurred to me but if you replace androids with hologram technology then yeah that's that's what's going on in this story um very very sort of similar in some ways um but yeah all in all it's it's a good old story it's a great little release um it's one of those stories that completely sort of flips on its head uh at the episode three cliffhanger and episode four is almost a completely different story we've heard about the scorpion as we go through this master assassin this this artisan of the assassin world um, and I love the fact that when the Scorpion turns up, it's actually Patsy Kensit gone full camp, <laughs> spouting cliches left, right and centre. And like, oh, yes, this is perfect. This is brilliant. Um, but it, it's such a good little twist how it's almost as if the story's done or it's almost as if it's reaching a conclusion at the end of that third part. And then this character who we've kind of learnt of by reputation beforehand finally arrives and just sort of changes the i mean the dynamic of the whole story really uh, in that final episode it sort of stops being about charles and diana inverted commas and starts being about the, how to outwit this master assassin and it's it's a great way to not let the story outstay its welcome because by the end of that third episode i have to admit the on the nose parody stuff was starting to wear a bit thin so i do like the fact that they kind of sort of use that final episode to not necessarily tell a different story but go in a different direction yes you're absolutely right I, I, the only real tell that it's well apart from the fact that we know going in that it's four parts but if if you hadn't known and you were, you were just watching that unfold on tv you would sort of assume yes this is this is wrapping it up here at the end of it's a three it's a three-parter for whatever reason and um and the only thing that sort of vaguely gives it away that that there's going to be more is is that the doctor's kind of ducking out at a point when war is still in the offing because there's you know there's still sufficient disharmony that um that stuff's all about to still kick off and it's it's i suppose it's possible that you know the doctor could sort of on one or two occasions, I'm sure they have had stories where the doctor's kind of gone, right, look, we did our best for this situation. Let's scarper, you know, and um, and, and in a way, the, the sort of final button of comedy in the whole thing would be the fact that, that you know, uh, they've, they've left this place in, in, in just as much of a mess as when, when they arrived. But, um, you know, uh, the, the doctor is kind of mediator as in the middle of all that, which is, is so funny because he's... Um, <laughs> In the next story, he gets his ghost is referred to as the, the patient man, and, and I don't think he's ever had to be more patient than, than in this story because trying to trying to reconcile the differences between those two, he, he could, you can tell he's just like one millimeter away from you know lo- losing it himself, and he, and he's he's one of the more patient incarnations of, of the doctor. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 so funny that that whole business. Yeah, I agree. That's that's great the way they they have like the camp cyborg assassin turn up at the end of at the end of part three and and almost yeah just almost in that kind of like oh the Sontarans have just arrived in Gallifrey kind of way just sort of say right it's essentially two stories bolted together here really but but we'll make it work don't worry um and you know there's you you were talking about the modern um you know the sort of the what would have been the contemporary stuff uh but but kind of but threaded through it you've got sort of more 21st century kind of ideas um and i, I think what what one element that's quite nice there is that they have um you know you know you, you know this 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 sort of thing the, the very well-known quote about three people in the marriage um and then they take that and make a very sci-fi thing out of it but also a thing that touches on um i guess sort of gender fluidity that, that would be very much of, of the of now you know um, where they have this sort of um, person going between the two camps, and you know they're one they're one gender to to one uh, to to the the blue team as it were, and then another gender to the to the red team, 
and 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 they're actually um uh i think i think it's really a female identity that 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 the undercover operative um who's who's the sort of eminence grease behind all this actually is um amelia and tomek isn't that right and, and they are literally um they're not just they're not just sort of um illegally experimenting with the hologram technology to exploit the situation to their own ends but they're actually f- physically intimate with um sebastian and miranda you know in, in two two separate kind of affairs so um it, it, it's all it's all very enmeshed you know as you say like the the, the then contemporary stuff the the more modern stuff and um and, and then sort of tied together with these sort of uh well-known kind of quotes and and and, and Kickboxing of the of the sort of uh, Charles and Di uh, bingo card, really, you know. It's it's quite interesting how it does kind of play with that, and it's in some ways it's not subtle. In some ways, there are some subtleties about it. You do have to listen out for a lot of the references and that kind of thing. But it's yeah. there's an awful lot in there to pick apart and sort of link to the Charles and Di thing. Oh, we've got and, Prince Philip in there and and the Queen as well. Um, yes. <laughs> He he's a very gaff prone sort of guy, and uh, just sort of blunders his way through the story. Um, and you know, basically, he's the guy that everybody just tries to keep keep out of trouble and and, and keep an eye on his betting habit, you know, and, and things like that. Yeah, the, um, the subtle, not so subtle stuff about him collecting his winnings and all that kind of thing. Yes, it's, yes, it's great fun, it, and that's it. It's fun. It's a really fun story, and I, it was sort of at a stage where the monthly range wasn't doing fun so much, I think. So I think to do fun with this doctor, with this TARDIS team, um, sort of handling something that was relatively current at the time they were originally on TV, I think that was just sort of a really, really good move. I think it was done really well. Yeah. And, and they all get some, you know, you know where they, you were talking last time about how evenly distributed everybody's um, chance to do something is. I think in the story that's handled really well. You've got like the farcical dimension of, of uh, you know, T- you've got Nissa and the Doctor on the one hand and you've got Adric and Tegan paired up on the other. And, and they've each coincidentally fallen into this scenario of, Pretending to be the world's most unlikely assassins, you know? and the, the most the world's most conspicuous assassins as well, because um, they're not exactly going to blend into a crowd, any of them. But but these particular royals are so obsessed with their own image management and stuff that um, there's a moment where the doctor, where you think they've kind of been rumbled because like the the the, the doctor and Nissa in particular have been rumbled because they go um, uh, Prince um, Sebastian goes. Uh, you know, for, for 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 hardcore assassins, you seem quite um, uh, concerned with the niceties of the whole situation. And, and the doctor goes, "Oh well, um, you know, with me, you get the whole package. You know, it's, it's it's more about forging a partnership to secure your termination objectives and, and things like that." So he he gets into the whole business business of spin and the, almost the corporate package. And and just for a beat, you, you sort of think you feel that this guy's going to go. What what are you talking about? You're clearly imposters. But he kind of instead he just sort of goes, yes, I, I yes, I, I can see that, you know, um, and it's because he's that, that the way he performs that line. I can't remember the actor's name playing, playing Sebastian, but the way he performs that is is just perfect because he, he's right on the line between like skepticism and so vain that he's prepared to just go along, <laughs> you know, with any with any flimsy explanation. Um, to to achieve his his ends, even to the point where actually the image management is more important than having his wife assassinated. Um, yes, how he looks through the whole thing is far more important to him than actually what the situation is. Yeah, it it, it works incredibly well. Um, shall we shift on to Ghost Walk? Yes. Wander onto Ghost Walk. So I I really enjoyed Ghost Walk. Um, I've I've been on Ghost Walks in the past, um, and I just sort of thought the way um, the that that is it's a long opening. It's about a ten minute cold opening. It's probably the longest there's ever been at Big Finish. Um, someone's going to tweet me and tell me there's longer. That's fine, but it's one of the longest at least. And I, I really like it. It's really realistic. Just it has all the little quirks of 
you know, that these sort of very theatrical ghost walk leaders, I suppose, do have. I just think it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's immediately engaging. So we get to the end of the cold opening and then it's revealed that the the voice Leanne can hear is actually the Doctor's. Um, and it immediately kind of throws us into a story. It's actually quite a fast-paced way of getting the story going. And yes, we learn sort of how the Doctor got into that position later on. Um, but essentially, it, it gets things moving quickly. This is quite a long story. The episodes are quite long. And it because of the way it kind of structures itself, the way it breaks things up, it tells quite a few sort of mini stories. It has quite a few segments. And the sort of Sabaoth Leanne Doctor thing is sort of the core of all of that. Um, I like stories that do this. I mean, I think... There's, am I right in thinking there's no Doctor or Tegan whatsoever in, was it the second or third part, one or the other? Um, so Ooh. it's, or next to none anyway. Yeah, if, yeah. If they are in it. But um, it's, yeah, it, it's it's a really good way of kind of breaking it up and it gives Adric something to do on his own. It gives Nyssa something to do on her own. Um, the Doctor and Tegan stay together for the majority of sort of events but it's there's an awful lot happens and it's a very long story and I just think to have that cold opening of eight eight and a half whatever it is minutes at the start to just get things moving nice and quickly and kind of set up an initial mystery really good use of the format really enjoy it um so uh what are your thoughts on ghost walk mark yeah, I, I I think all of what you said is is very true. It, the, the way it's constructed is so sophisticated and intricate and really just really clever. I, I, how James Goss put that whole jigsaw together, I don't know, but he made he made it look effortless. And um, so you know, as you say, you've got the you've got the the time zoning dimension of it. You've got people scattered, you know, in different directions. You've also got this brilliant central idea of the doctor as this as this um this ghost you know uh you don't as you say the, the, the first cliffhanger delivers the fact that he is the ghost you know um uh, and uh he's he describes himself <laughs> it's just it's this sort of hilarious idea of the doctor not believing in ghosts but being one and this being a, a, a sort of a, a puzzling inconvenience to him and and the, and the person who he's haunting is equally skeptical of ghosts. So, so they both agree that they don't really believe in what's happening, but they're kind of stuck with it. And um, and he, at one point he describes himself as Schrodinger's ghost, and and, and at another point he, he describes himself as a, a chatty bit of spam, which which is brilliant. Um, and uh, uh, so so um, yeah, I, I just think that whole dimension is really well done, as you say, like getting Adric and Teague. At getting Adric and Nessa into their own separate kind of stories, which which end up quite Nessa gets the sort of very um, uh, she gets the more sort of serious story insofar as there's the, the the kind of beginnings of a sort of a one sided romance, largely one sided romance with this uh, Matthew figure. Um, it has to be one-sided, I guess, because otherwise circular time makes no sense. Um, I, I guess that kiss that occurs at one stage in this must be a very, you know, chaste peck on the cheek or something, because in, in circular time, she talks about it being the first time that she's ever, you know, really had that kind of intimacy. So, And then Adric ends up in a more sort of, you know, he, he's in a serious predicament, but the, the com there's, there's broad comedy as well seeded into that. There's some really funny stuff with him where he... he he talks about being condemned to death for for consuming consuming carbohydrates, and um, and and uh, there's a point where he's in the prison uh, um, and and he's getting he's he's talking to these um, cellmates and they say uh, you know he's talking about being cold and they say oh we, we we can we can help you warm up or whatever and he goes yes yes I'm sure we you know we could pass the time with some fighting. Um, I, I I think he sort of slightly misunderstood what they were inferring, um, but but yes. Uh, so you've got you've got all that stuff, and then there's a brilliant thing, and probably my favorite thing about it because I'm I'm a massive Tegan fan in particular. 
the way she gets paired up with the doctor in this and they become it's pro- it's probably one of my favorite ever two-handers between those two because the way she chooses to stay it, it, it kind of replicates that thing in Locopolis where you know Adric and Tegan are, are spirited off in the TARDIS by the Watcher and Tegan just sort of just reappears and says right I'm, I'm i'm staying it's too late you're stuck with me now and she 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 does it again here and it's interesting that she's generally the one to do that like when the, when the chips are really down for the doctor like she she despite being the one who does most complaining is the one that really has his back in those moments um but it, before he spirits them away he says this amazing thing it's like um because you're children you know i want you safe because you're children um and then she kind of when she does her sort of polite cough to announce that she's still, <laughs> still there, um, she questions that. She's like, "Is that is that how you really see us?" And and of course, on some level, that must be true, you know. Um, but but the, the, yeah, th- those two wandering the corridors underground and her, th- there's almost a touch of heaven sent to it in a sense because you've got even though there's a lot of comedy in it, 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 it is pretty dark too. She's trying to keep his spirits up as they both begin to lose hope uh, and then she's the one that's obviously going to die first you know but considering that it is Tegan like she's really very um, uh, selfless in the way she um, starts to make peace with the fact that she's going to die down there and, and encouraging the doctor to go on and, and um, it, it's it's quite moving you know and, and there is there is a really good balance in the story between humor and um scares and and just something a bit more um emotionally uh affecting but um yeah so so just that that whole that whole side of it where you know she she kind of inspires the top, that's what i mean by the heaven sent dimension you know where he he's kind of spurred on to keep going because he's going to be he's going to be trapped down there um for god like centuries you know and and um it's the thought of his companion companions and the words of encouragement left by Tegan in particular, I think that keep him, him going through his predicament. And uh... Uh, it's great that there's, there is that chance for the doctor and Tegan to kind of spend a bit of, I guess, grown up time together. Um, it's Adric and Nyssa have always been sort of written and played as children, incredibly sort of intelligent, gifted children, but children not, Excuse me. Uh, But children nonetheless. And um, it's sort of, it it does kind of often get forgotten that, well, no, Tegan's not a child. She's quite a bit older than a lot of companions, actually. And, um, you know, was, was a real person with a full life on Earth and a job and all this kind of thing. And we are still in that sort of season 19 phase of, do we need to get to Heathrow this week or is Tegan okay with travelling in the TARDIS now? It seems to come and go and come and go. Uh, I know that we kind of adjusted the order of the last trilogy for that, but then again, we've got references to Heathrow in this trilogy. Um, it's it's impossible to trace. And, I, you know, it's... But anyway, so Tegan is sort of very unique, not just among a lot of companions, actually, but among this TARDIS team as well. Um and it's it is nice that we get this sort of grown up conversation between the two, and it's it's a nice little exploration of their characters. And um, you know, Nissa and Adric spend an episode missing. In fact, they spend an episode and three quarters missing um, towards the end of the story. And it, uh, I think, actually, the right thing to do was just write them out altogether for that little bit. They had episode two to near enough themselves and then the rest of it, they kind of, they were yeah. left in cliffhangers that were resolved later. It would actually have been interesting to have seen something like this done during season 19. You know, they could have done something clever like film two episodes at once and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, or film an episode with the companions while Peter Davison was off doing his sitcom. Um but what's really good about that 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 second episode is is um it, it does get to get you know it is a, it is a showcase for what Adric and Nissa have separately learned from their travels with the Doctor because they do they do some quite clever stuff like Ad, Adric works out that like if he 
he knows that if he gets his, his uh, execution into the newspapers, he's like, like, like to the journalist, to the comedy journalist, he's like, right, make, make sure you get my name into the paper. And he gives him the spelling and everything, which of course ends up being uh, corrupted into something like, uh, what was it, Derek or something. Um, but, but the doctor's clever enough to pick up on it anyway. And then Nissa does the whole thing with the maps where she works out, like by a process of elimination, there's only there's only sort of five, five or six areas, but this subterranean area could be and, and so forth. Um, so, so you get that side of it. And then at the same time, you've got this, this parallel track where Tegan and the doctor are just, um, yeah, as you say, like they're, they're the two, they, they get to have more, like a slightly more adult, even though, even though Tegan's been kind of at times, um, a, a wee bit kind of like child, like that bit where she's throwing stones is hilarious. You know, she, she's like, the doctor asked her to stop throwing stones because he's, he needs to concentrate. And then she stops her about two seconds and then you just hear the sound effect. <laughs> start up again of the stones being dropped and, he, and he's like oh, right for god's sake but um yeah the other thing i wanted to say about this is there's just a couple of other wee notes i had about um clever little things like um th- there's a couple of clever musical references in it to um that just just they, they at one point have adric's theme just just for a wee second or two and then at another point they have a little a little bit of logopolis music in there I think they've changed the notes just very slightly so that there's no copyright infringement, but it's it's clear what, what each is intended to be. And the, the the Legopolis one in particular makes me realize this is one of those stories where you were talking about taking, you know, having oscillating views and whether she wants to get back to Heathrow. But this is one of the few stories where, you know, that her air hostessness really comes into it quite a few times because it's like she goes into her her you know what she was trained for mode like where where Adric's really in freaking out mode at one stage and she's she's saying right okay this is how we handle drunk passengers and, and sort of helps them walk it off and then um what's the other thing when, when she's wandering around the corridors of the TARDIS she's she's kind of going through her, her she's talking through her sort of uh safety manual instructions aloud and stuff like that um so so it's nice that you know that that sort of um how would you describe it like the, the the sort of practical like here's what you do in an emergency side ever comes to the fore the running theme in this of oh, there, there seems to be a running theme to do with communication issues and translation issues so like you know even the idea of the the doctor's existence being questionable on a whether he's dead or alive being questionable on a quantum level you could say that that's a sort of an exploitable um, glitch in the communication of, of of reality to the observer, sort of thing. Um, but you've also got more obvious things like this this um, alien entity, which is brilliantly voiced by um, Stephen Greif, um, who was Travis in Blake Seven, and, and sadly died recently. But but yeah, his his sort of way of coming through again it's, it's almost like this starman type concept of like the bridgehead so something pulling itself through from another realm um and sending parts of itself on ahead um but but uh when he does that it's it's, it's almost like that thing in um flatline you know where it's very hard to tell there's an ambiguity in what these things want and whether they're malevolent or kind or or just misunderstood or what are they you know um, and ultimately, it turns out to be pure malevolence, you know. Um, but uh, oh, and, and the other thing about the time zoning of it, I wanted to say was um, the, the business the, the, again. Like we've got something of the actual early nineteen eighties in this because Tegan turns up as a as a as, a, as, as the sort of voice of a séance. You know, she she becomes the the ghost that manifests at this séance and then becomes part of recorded history. Um, so that, that's all really nice too, that, you know, each of these stories just has its own wee bit of what would have, what would have been, um, the, the, the time in which the writers were writing, if they've been writing it then. Yeah. It's, it's just got that sort of nice sort of little nod to 1982, that little bit of 1982 in it. And I I do quite like that. You know, I'm all for big finish kind of exploring other wonderful eras um 
sort of, you know, the Sixth Doctor spends quite a lot of time in the present day as to when a story is released, that kind of thing. Um, but it's always nice to have that nod to know that they were kind of centrally placed in whatever era it was, in this case, obviously, the early 80s. Um, but yeah, it, it's um, obviously you mentioned Stephen Greif there. Um, I wanted to bring him up as well because he he had just the perfect voice for this malevolent entity trying to encroach on our realm from its own. It's it, just such a brilliant voice, brilliant performance. And um, obviously his other Doctor Who big finish appearance that comes to mind is Primeval, which is Fifth Doctor and Nyssa and a, a, a fairly similar role, kind of, you know, in a way an embodiment of evil. Um, and yeah, just really well performed, really well played and, but I think he just had such an excellent voice to start with. Um, so we'll move on to the third story uh, and the final story that we're going to discuss, which is Serpent in the Silver Mask. And I really enjoy this one. I think I placed this one as my favourite of the trilogy. Um, you've got some absolutely brilliant characters sort of over the top and this sort of family who all despises each other and wants to get the hands on a um a fortune um it's 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 just a great deal of fun it's not as out and out comedy-ish as um kingdom of lies was it it's a very different kind of story it's sort of taking um taking a lot from kind of Agatha Christie whodunit type stories, characters getting picked off in weird and wonderful ways um, as we go through. Um, but it's it's definitely got a sort of hint of, I guess, Stephen Moffat's timey-wiminess in there as well. Uh, there's definitely some playing around with time paradoxes. And it's it's one of those stories, I think, that only Doctor Who could tell. It's so brilliantly, uniquely Doctor Who that um, that's something that should be celebrated. Uh, so go ahead, Mark. What are your thoughts on Serpent in the Silver Mask? Yeah, I, I mean, I just wanted to say you, you mentioned some of the influences on it and um, the, the other key one, um, when I first was listening to it, I, I remember thinking, Oh, this this is uh this is Kind Hearts and Coronets, which is which is a 1949 film in which Alec Guinness um plays various members of this kind of um dynasty that are getting bumped off one by one by by the protagonist because he seek he he uh will inherit the fortune but he's, he's like seventh in line or eighth in line to the to, to inheriting this fortune and I, I looked it up again today to remind myself um. Well, first of all, it is confirmed in the extras. Uh, I remember that, you know, that, that this was a big inspiration on the story. So there was me thinking it was being clever. And, and, and then they said in the extras. So it was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I guess I guess it was pretty obvious anyway. But uh, if you've seen the film, but I looked it up again today. And um, in this film, by the way, Alec Guinness plays all the, the relatives being bumped off. So in the same way as Samuel West plays all the parts in... in um, Serpent in the Silver Mask, you know, every everyone from the the Alan Benedish uh, guy who ultimately turns out to be the, the impossible assassin uh, to, you know, even the female um, relatives and so on. Alec Guinness plays the same. He's, he's you know, maiden aunts and he's he's uh, elderly generals and all sorts of things in it. And um, they're all getting bumped off one by one by, by the, the the guy that wants to, to inherit... Um, this fortune but but when i looked it up again this morning just just to remind myself of this because it's been a long time since i saw that film it turned out they even had the same surname mazzini um in that in that film so um yeah it's 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 very i mean it's it's just been absolutely upfront about what it's what it's doing uh what, what it's parodying but um i i very much enjoyed it like it's it as i say all three of these stories i enjoyed um it's 
you've got you've also got uh, Phil Cornwell in there as this Caloran. When did we have the Calorans before? Was it, it was Arrangements for War? Do you remember? Sort of like a kind of dog-like type of race. I think that's the Calorans. But but um... uh, Adrian in the Bernie Summerfield series is a Caloran, and Calorans are oh. the, the builders on Braxiatel's collection. Oh, of course he is. I feel like a bad fan. So, I like I'm going to have to turn him a badge. <laughs> you forgot about Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and I've listened to so many of those as well. How, how can I possibly overlook the, the, the more, yeah, anyway, um, the more obvious origin of that one? But um, yeah, so so this this thing is, it's very kind of knockabout. I mean, you've got I, I just the, the variety of voices that your man manages to pull off. Um is incredible um and he keeps on top of all of that the, the the there's there's really good banter between all the regulars like there's there's a point point when the doctor's getting carried away but um he's, he's really taken with the idea of playing detective and he's, he's got this this is very exciting and then tegan has to point out to him that he's that he said this in front of of a guy uh, joe man Mazzini, who's just had two of his own fa- family murdered you know that that these are that these are the victims and the doctor's like oh, oh yes sorry sorry um so he he's very and there's some lovely stuff about um, there's these, there's a couple of like robots with really um, entertaining personalities. So you've got this the doctor's trapped at one stage in a jail cell with um, this robot robot that's called Bernard or Bernard. I forget how it's pronounced. Uh, I think it's Bernard, isn't it? Um, and then there's the sort of. Uh, the, the kind of helper robot that goes around assisting people when, when they need directions or information, but it talks in this really inappropriately upbeat voice about even the most serious matters. And, uh, it, you know, it'll refer to a tragedy and, and with, with the same jolly tone as it does when it's advertising, um, you know, crazy golf or something. Um, so all that stuff's really good fun. Um, I, I must admit the, the, the whole sort of paradox dimension at the end of, of exactly how, you know, I was, I, I got, my brain got tied up in knots trying to work out if the guy that assassinated himself came back. Presumably, it was his future self that came back to shoot his younger self, and it's only by dint of the sort of particular properties of this space station being so, slightly outside of time that that whole thing doesn't immediately disappear in a puff of smoke. I, I, I there, there's something. I know there's a bit of techno babble to cover the whole thing, but I, I've listened to it three times, and each time there's some part of it I never entirely decode in that um it's probably more straightforward than i'm making it um oh and you get the final the final thing i'll just mention is tegan gets a wee bit of a it's it's almost like everybody over these six stories has had a wee bit of a uh, a potential love interest at some stage it's and uh, this one feels the most like tegan's instance of this feels the most like um the sort of thing um barbara would have had in the early days you know like in the daleks or something where she uh she has that moment at the very end where where, where it's either you know stay with this guy where there's maybe potential for something to grow or carry on traveling with her friends and she's torn momentarily torn and then she 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 chooses to travel on you know so it, it's kind of an echo of those early days of, of the original um crowded tardis you know um yeah that that sort of temptation to leave it it isn't really sprung on until the end but it's sort of good to see that relationship kind of building throughout the course of the story. It would be remiss of me to not mention just how funny some of the dialogue in this is. It's it's not it's not sort of the sort of more overt comedy that Kingdom of Lies is, but it's still a very, very witty script. I love the fact that the doctor's able to sort of speak robot, nobody else is, and there's a lot of sort of funny lines and insinuations about what the robot, what Bernard is actually saying. Uh, from the Doctor's reactions. Uh, there's also a great line in there. And this is, it really stood out to me and is actually one of the funniest lines I think um, I've found in, in Big Finish Doctor Who. And it's about um, uh, one of the Mazzini's sued his brother over a game of Monopoly and won. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just love the idea of a Monopoly game getting so out of hand that, and I can believe it. It's completely believable as well. Is it Angelo? Angelo, the the, the guy that that ultimately turns out to be the the, the culprit. Um, yes. When he's doing his speech at the at the at the at the funeral, and uh, he, he, he's, he's first of all, it's just funny because he he's just doing Alan Bennett as his as his voice, but um, he says that bit about you know. 
I remember the day um, my my father told me he was, or the, the day I told my father I I wasn't going to uh, be interested in taking over the family business, and and he turned around to me and said, "Son, that's terrific news because you're absolutely hopeless in negotiations, <laughs> and you're a terrible businessman." You know, and uh, just just the dry way he delivers that is. Uh, it's, it's just it's just hilarious, and, and doing the voices for those two is it Peter Peter and Paul, the two kind of really like um, I don't know how you'd even describe the the teenage siblings. Yeah, but they yeah. sound really like um, they're definitely they're definitely not, or maybe 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 there were um, teenagers like that in the eighties, but it feels like more of a nineties thing, maybe um, that kind of inflection yeah. and, and yeah. Um, it's, it's that all kind of, kind I'm of... too busy listening to Nirvana to care about what's going on, that kind of thing. Exactly that, yeah. So he, he has those all to a T. It's, it's, it's really good. Actually, there was some funny dialogue across all of the story. Like, There's a bit in Kingdom of Lies where, um, you know, uh, Tegan says, uh, oh, no, no the, the doctor says to Tegan, you know, you, you crossed the line. And she goes, all I said was the uniforms were garish, you know. And he goes, no, I mean, you've literally crossed that line. You know, we're, on two, we're in two separate kingdoms now. But um, stuff like that, it, it's, it's partly the writing and it's partly their delivery. Like, I, actually, actually, the person who really shines in these at times compared to how he was on TV is Matthew Waterhouse. His, his comedy timing and just sometimes the way he throw a line, the way he'll deliver a line is just hysterically funny. Like, I, it, it just... <laughs> um, there's, there's some... <laughs> There's so many instances. There's, there's a bit where he's in that prison cell and, and somebody says, oh, do that be so? And he's like, yes, that be so. But he's he's so cross in that moment that he's, he's it brings out the sarcasm in him and everything. And um, uh, anyway, I, I'm, there's any number of lines you could pick out of any any of the three stories. And um, they're all kind of winners. Like, you know, that there's I think this particular TARDIS team, well, two things. They must hold the record for emergency crash landings, right, for starters. Um, but they must also have, you know, the strongest run of um, kind of witty closing scenes. Um, just as they're wrapping up Ghost Walk, they have um, even Tegan bring the doctor like a, or sorry, bring Adric a, a cup of coffee. And she says, right, I had, I had them put almond milk in yours. And he goes, oh, will I like it? And he goes, and she goes, Probably no. not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which <laughs> she's kind of done it you know deliberately just just as a little tiny bit of meanness um and that's that's just the, the dynamic they have they're sort of they, they tease each other and they wind each other up in all these low-key ways she'll probably feel a lot more guilty about that after he he dies young you know that then all, all those tiny little uh, <laughs> unkindnesses that she did him but um it, it is funny in the moment uh, i mean all three of the stories we've discussed today are they're excellent scripts like that there are some really good characters in there really well performed um but every single script has got an awful lot you can pick out and an awful lot you can enjoy enjoy and there are um plenty of sort of brilliant one-liners little jokes little quips and i think this as you say is a tardis team that kind of lends itself to that sort of banter i think it's something that it certainly tones down, you know, on, on TV, a lot of it did come across as sort of not necessarily outright nastiness, but it was quite a bit more me minded mm. than what we get from these big Finnish scripts where it is sort of more like sort of friendly ribbing, friendly banter, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I enjoyed that. It's just, it's an ever so slight tweak to the dynamic between this team, but I think it works incredibly well. And, and, and actually, slight, slight fluctuations in that between TV stories and audio stories are very forgivable anyway, because I remember um, it was Nicola Bryant, actually, I remember her making a point in one of the extras one time where she says, like, people talk about character inconsistency, but they forget that in real life, people are in different moods on different days, and they might, you know, they, they might be slightly more sarcastic one day than they are on another, or they might be more lighthearted, or they might be very morose or you know so, so we we don't forgive in fictional characters what we are prepared to overlook in ourselves and really we're talking about um i think the nature of the environments into which they're put even changing how they will react like as any person would it's exactly the same thing as like when tegan is accused of just moaning all the time which she doesn't she, she would like to go home to heathrow initially because 
Um, that's where her job is and that's where her life is. And like any realistic scenario where somebody's been abducted, they would want eventually to, to get back there, just like Ian and Barbara did, you know. Um, but but the other thing about that is um, when she is, and like even as early as Castro Valva, she's, she, it's not like when she's in these alien environments, she doesn't make the most of the adventure while she's in it. Um, she, she very much kind of leans into the experience and um, yeah. So, so anyway, that I've gone off on a whole sidebar about Tegan cause I get very defensive on her, on her behalf. Um, but, but we've been down this road before. No, I think it's, it's very fair to say that Tegan kind of unfairly gets kind of lumped with, you know, the argumentative one, the grumpy one. It's not true. There is far, far more to Tegan. Yeah. Than that, and um, I think this this trilogy, and particularly this final story, um, really does kind of bring out other sides to Tegan. I think it's great to see to see those and that they're explored. Um, well, we'll leave it there. But it's yeah. as it was with the first trilogy. It's been great to discuss this second trilogy, um. And apart from one story in the 40, the Fifth Doctor's 40 box set, we've not actually heard any more from this particular TARDIS lineup. So hopefully Big Finish will have something in the sort of in the pipeline um, because it, it would be nice to return to this uh, pretty unique TARDIS crew, I think. It's it would, to say. Yeah, it'd be a shame not to get another... Even even short run of stories with them another another three I think there, I think there's room. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think that uh, obviously the more the more Adric stories that are, I guess the more tragic the events of Earthshock are and all that kind of thing as well. Mm. So I'm all for more with this team. Yeah, uh, but for now we will just have to keep our fingers crossed and we shall leave it there so uh, thanks for joining me mark it's been great talking about all of these stories with you and it's sort of it's nice to sort of appreciate them with somebody that is such a great fan of the era oh i love it yeah it's, it's my my top, absolute favorite you know that that whole tardis team and that that time and I'm, and I'm old enough to have seen them at the time so that's part of it it's it's that thing you know you, it's usually your the first doctor you properly see that that imprints on you for life, and, and, and I'm no exception to that uh, rule, really. So um, anyway, I've, I've very much enjoyed chatting about them. It's good to know that that nostalgia factor is there, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I will say thank you and goodbye, and we shall be back for more spodcasting very soon. Goodbye now.